Asia Pacific currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning, dear listeners, and yes, welcome. And、um, should I turn off your mic, no, Giselle? No, no. As, as you touch them and you make all these background <laughs> noise and you break,、um, I think it's rule number two in radio. But、um, do you know the rules of radio? I'm not、yeah. sure you do.、Um, <coughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Good morning.、Uh, <coughs> sorry about <coughs> that's rule number three. Don't cough into the mic. So、I'll、do you think it's、that. a really good start to the show?、Oh, it's a beautiful start to the show. It's real radio. That's what they call it. Anyway, it's Asia Pacific Currents on your favourite community radio station, Three CR Radio, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links, and I'm Pierre, and <laughs> I'm Giselle, and how and、um, on this.、Uh, Program will have the usual roundup of news from the Asia Pacific region, and then in the second half, because our interview、um, uh, had technical trouble and fell through at the last minute, we're actually just going to talk about、uh, issues facing our movement, and、uh, we'll take the.、Um, Do you think the n- listeners need to know that this is our backup plan? Like. Surely it was just the plan all along. We have lots of backup plans, as <laughs>、um, as the listeners would know. Is they don't see us, they don't see how panicky we are, or they don't see how we are dressed or not dressed on the studio. Okay, that's enough. Okay, in the second、right. part of the show, actually, so last week, listeners, I broadcast a part of a speech that was delivered by Chen Shua,、um, who's a Malaysian. Well, now he's a politician, but once upon a time he was a communist and he was a、um, trade unionist. He was arrested under Mahathir in、um, the eighties, eighty three, nineties, I think. Anyway. In any event,、yes. um, under Mahathir for un, and under the ISA, the Internal <coughs> Security Act, that legislation that particularly targeted trade unionists and communists. And now he、um, joined a coalition party to get Mahathir elected under a different、um, ticket. So that's why people think there was a revolution in, Maha- in Malaysia because Amno is no longer in power. However, Mahathir is.、Um, but what we wanted to talk about was how, do, how does this happen? And right now, when we're seeing all of these trade union leaders going into the Labor Party and then into Parliament,、um, what does this mean for the movement for politics? Is it possible to retain a Um, left-wing or militant or even anti-capitalist political perspective, when not only you're participating in electoral politics, but you're elected and, and you're actually there. And also how we view history and interpret our history. Well, that's right. In light of the、um, memorial to Laurie Carmichael that you would have heard on Annie's program、um, just a moment ago, you know, how do we remember these figures of history? Because certainly at the time, and certainly my perspective, and I don't know about you, Pierre, but <sighs> Uh, I think Laurie Carmichael sold us out. I think he was instrumental in introducing the accord, and he, along with Bob Hawke and、um, the other people that were mentioned in in that, Bill Kelty, smashed the union movement. We didn't need the Liberals to do it; our side did it. Well, that's right. Well, we can talk a bit more about that, but we'll go to our news roundup. Before I go, the、um, thanks to Solidarity Breakfast, and that 
music that you heard was Walk About Dreaming by Crew Wodger. So it's very nice. Sorry I couldn't finish that uh, song, but we really had to start our own program. So off you go, Giselle. We're going to start in Pakistan. Um, <clears throat> actually, uh, quite a a disastrous story. Earlier this week on Wednesday, an explosion in a coal mine in the Akhawal area in the Kohat district of northern Pakistan near the Afghan border. That explosion killed nine workers and injured another three. According to local reports, a build-up of gas led to an explosion that collapsed part of the mine, burying 12 miners. Three of them were able to be rescued alive and transported to local hospitals. Unfortunately... <coughs> Due to lax regulations and no independent trade unions, fatal incidents like these are common among Pakistan's coal mines. According to the Pakistan Central Mines Labour Federation, between 100 and 200 labourers die on average in coal mine accidents every year. That is way, way too many fatalities uh, just to earn profits for coal mining companies. I know, it's terrible, it's terrible news. And unfortunately, the next one is also a bit of a terrible news that's sort of been developing over the last few weeks. Um, We go to South Korea. (coughs) We, um, uh, on September 4th, there was a major carbon dioxide leak in a basement unit of Samsung's flagship chip manufacturing plant at uh, Jihang in Gyeonggi province that affected three workers. Now, one worker died within hours of this incident, while a second one died after eight days in coma earlier this week. The third worker is still seriously ill, while one of the paramedics that went in to help the workers was also hospitalised. Now, what has also happened is that um, new um, uh, evidence has come out where um, they um, not only highlight the um, toxic environment that workers at Samsung Electronics face on a daily basis, but we also have uh, seen now that the, the rescue process were totally substandard. Now, CCT footage has now revealed that not only did the first responders took 10 minutes to reach the unconscious workers, but um, (coughs) they did not have any protective gear or emergency medical kits with them. That's probably why one of them actually collapsed. Um, A uh, CPR kit, which is a uh, uh, defibrillating unit to start the heart, kit took almost 30 minutes to arrive with a third team uh, with a third team, while an oxygen tank uh, only arrived later on. So um, it's incredible that not more people actually died. Uh, now here in Melbourne, Victoria, at one of the port terminals here in Melbourne, workers are afraid for their lives after five accidents in quick succession occurred in the last week at the VICT terminal at WebDoc. One of the injured workers needed to be hospitalised overnight. The MUA are blaming the intense pace of work at this facility. Workers are being required to work 12-hour shifts back-to-back, with workers then regularly called in to work six to eight of these shifts in a row, with minimum breaks um, before being called in again. There are many examples of people working over 50 to 60 hours of overtime in a fortnight outside of their rostered normal hours of work. This becomes effectively an eight-day work week. It's dangerous and it has to stop immediately, and that is why we have unions. That's exactly um, right. Um, 
And uh, we now go to Myanmar, where um, earlier this month, two Reuters journalists, Walon and Kya Sodo, were both sentenced to seven years in prison after they were found guilty of breaching the Official Secrets Act in Myanmar. The two were found guilty of having secret information and documents on their possession in what was clearly a political setup. The two journalists who had been investigating the Myanmar's army atrocities against the Rohingya minority in western Myanmar had scheduled a meeting with some police officers. At this meeting, the police handed them a bunch of documents. Upon receiving them, the two journalists were arrested by another group of police and found to be in possession of state secrets. If that's a setup, I don't know what is. Um, this case is uh, quite obviously a warning to all journalists, human and labour rights workers in that country. Both the International Federation of Journalists and its affiliate, the Myanmar Journalist Association, have condemned the sentences and called for the journalists to be released. I mean, I think it um, <coughs> it does um, that highlights again one of those issues about uh, about law and the power of the state. Well, obviously, it's quite. I mean, what I've just read out is actually not contested, that they actually met these police, they were given documents, and within 10 seconds they were arrested. To everyone, it's obvious it is a setup. But the law, the court said, no, you were guilty of it and you're sentenced. And it just shows you then what do you do when the law is actually totally illegal. Moving now to India, over 200 workers at the Dusan manufacturing plant had been on strike since the start of August. The company that manufactures boilers and pressure parts for power plants employs around 1,400 workers, of which the majority are on short-term contracts. The dispute centred around pay, conditions and union recognition. Unfortunately, late in August, a contingent of about 500 police moved and arrested all the striking workers that had been occupying part of the factory. At this stage, it's still unknown the fate of these workers or the state of the negotiations over a new collective enterprise agreement. Well, I hope that... Um, it's just one bad story after another, <laughs> I'm, af- I'm afraid so, um, Giselle. Um, maybe you'll just sack me one day. Um, we stay- I've, I've tried. I've failed. <laughs> I'm going to need another strategy. We'll stay in India, where last week uh, was a historic moment in uh, Nimrana, which in the Alwa district of Rajasthan state, where a newly recognised and registered workers' union, the Daikin Air Conditioning Mazdu Union, I've got a Daikin Air Conditioning System at home, um, uh, decided um, to unfurl a red flag at the Japanese Air Conditioning Factory's gate as a show of strength after they got registered. The importance of this act uh, is connected to the fact that this area is an expanding industrial belt where the government and the companies are the Determined to stop workers organising and acting in solidarity with each other. So um, what happened was basically as the workers approached the gates of the companies, they were stopped by a large contingent of police. In other words, the police said, you can't unfurl a red flag. After a fruitless day of negotiations, a number of the union leaders were arrested by the police. I didn't know that there was a law saying you can't unfurl a red flag. Notwithstanding this setback, the workers are committed in working together and organising other factories in the area. I have to say, Giselle, it wouldn't be good if um, workers here in uh, in Australia, after you know, doing some um, EBA or whatever, they go right. You know, we've won something. We're going to walk in in the workforce with a red flag. 
Actually, power, power to your workers. <laughs> this was Pierre's favourite story today. <laughs> Actually, when he got in this morning, he's like, I'm going to read this one out. I, w- I really want people to know that these workers were really committed to unfurling a red flag. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's a minor thing, but it, it says everything. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Tetley, uh, where are we? Are we in Sri Lanka? India. 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 For the past two years, workers, mainly women, on plantations in the northern Indian state of Assam and West (laughs) Bengal have been organising to demand decent water and sanitation. For years, workers have complained to their local management with no effect. The local company is part of the supply chain of the global giant Tetley team. With the support of the IUF, the workers have now formed water and sanitation committees on six plantations to document the abominable conditions and to propose concrete improvements. At campaign meetings and rallies on World Water Day this year, which is the 22nd of March, the workers called on Tetley to acknowledge its responsibility to ensure respect for human rights in the supply chain by pushing local plantation management to engage in good faith negotiations with the committees. There's an ongoing international campaign to pressure Tetley to negotiate directly with these workers' committees. And um, because I'm old, Giselle, I can actually remember <laughs> stories like that from the SMT plantations We've been broadcasting these for years, and the problem just seems... And you just think, like, in the end, I mean, they just want clean water, you know, and, like, how stuffed does the management really have to be to sort of say, nah, clean water, that's a bit of a luxury, isn't it? Well, isn't that the same story with asbestos, you know? Like, workers are saying, we just don't want to die from breathing this stuff in, so don't use it. And the bosses are like... Yeah, no, that's going to impact our profits. That's right. That's that's exactly. Well, maybe you've, you've said it. Anyway, we can come back to that uh, topic afterwards when we talk about uh, history and, and looking um, how do we do it and, and uh, how people go. Anyway, we'll go to a couple of community announcements. It's just on uh, 14 past 9 o'clock. <coughs> You're listening to a Coffee in Pierre and a much healthier Giselle um, here on Asia Pacific Currents brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just 30 You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. 
It's just uh, on 16 past 9 o'clock here on Asia Pacific Currents on 3CR Radio. Now, Giselle, let me um, ask, start up and ask you a question. Oh, so, am, I, am I the talent today? Am you I? are the, the <laughs> talent. Um, well, I'm going to put, um, uh, I think, you know, expert comments in there as, <laughs> as well every so often, you know, because, <laughs> you know, the grasshopper has been trying very well, but she's still a grasshopper. Um so you went to the Tian Chuan uh, talk last week and you said you were a bit disappointed. So why were you disappointed? No, no, I wasn't disappointed. I was shocked. Oh, well, all right. You were shocked. Why were you shocked? So. <coughs> and why not disappointed? Yeah, very good. So firstly, um, oh, this is, this is a very difficult conversation. I haven't thought what I can and can't say on air, but here we go. So. Tian Shua w- was a labor movement activist. He was a unionist. He believed in the struggle of the workers. I don't think he said workers once in his 45-minute speech and the question time, the hour and 15 minutes of question and answer that came next. So in a two-hour session, he didn't mention the workers of Malaysia at all. Um I it was remarkable for me and and shocking. So not disappointing, like oh I expected more. But how does this happen? How do you go from being a communist and um, or or even a trade unionist for the workers to that degree of sellout? So one of the things that he promoted is like oh let me tell you what we're doing with Malaysia. We have we are setting up a third national car. Now, I know Malaysia has one national car, which is the Proton. I don't know what the second national car, and nobody else in the room could answer it, but we're going to have a third national car. At at the same time, that vehicles manufacturing is taking hits right across the world while we're plundering the world um, because of pollution and um, all of the things that we're doing that give climate change. And the, that was seen as a progressive thing. This was his progressive because it means jobs. But the this actually, <laughs> can't actually even talk. Uh, segues really, really well to a forum that we were both at. Um, hosted by the NUW about the State of the Union, where one of the speakers actually said what the trade union doesn't do very well, it actually doesn't look at the quality of jobs. It just says jobs, jobs, jobs. So whether they're into creating a uh, hospital or creating a a submarine that will then destroy people, it's all jobs, jobs, jobs. So the question to you is: Was he just part of of a of the um, what's right of the mainstream where any job is a good job for for workers? Simple as that. I think that I think that is the <coughs> position he's moved to. But for instance, Tian Shua, as we said at the start, the start of the show, was the kind of effective trade unionist that meant he was targeted by Mahatia and imprisoned. Like trade unionists that are already selling workers out from their position of being trade union leaders aren't the ones that get arrested and go to jail. The ones that do are the Tian Shuas of the world and the Irene Xaviers and those people that got arrested in the 80s and 90s. <coughs> Excuse me. So oh, Han Sang Kyun and all those. Han Sang Kyun, Samyat, yeah. all of these people. Yeah. So 
that is who Chen Shua is, and he's released from prison. And he continued to work for a little while, and we started to notice that he was, you know, social democratic, moving towards that liberal or neoliberal position of we must support capitalism in its hour of need. But also, you ha- like the smashing of the labour movement in Malaysia was so severe, anybody who was willing to stand up and try to rebuild it had very, very, very deep connections. So what the NUW is talking about are not those people. So in that regard, I it's not – I mean, the people that were spoken about at that um, – the NUW talk were the people that <coughs> Marx spoke about in relation to the trade union bureaucracy that is a part of stifling the movement – so do you, do you get what I mean? Like it's it's a different conversation. Where Tian Shua moved to versus having an appraisal of the role that the trade union bureaucracy plays in letting us go forward and not letting us go forward. But it's really all, all you know, in the same picture because people actually play a different, um, a different roles in all that. So the, the question then uh, comes to – because obviously, you know, people have – uh, their own lives and all that, and maybe you know I don't I don't really know Tian Chua now, but one can only assume... neither do I, Pierre. <coughs> I just don't know him anymore. Um, one can only assume that as he moved rightward, uh, his life just became a bit easier. Well, look he, at the decisions that they had to make. So the first decision that is it Karapatan, uh, I think that's what the coalition is called. I'm not too sure. I forget. Um, so the first decision they had to make was, and remember, this is a coalition that said the Muslims could be in. So they absorbed pass at some yeah. time, even though there has been an inherent or, or an ideological tension between PSM, the Socialist Party of Malaysia, and pass. Yet, I mean, and this is, you know, a conversation we have had mm. with the um, Socialist Party of Malaysia about why they went into a uh, a coalition with the Islamists, but in any event, they did. So now we're getting to Mahathir. So Karapatan had to had to accept a meeting with Mahathir to talk about that coalition, and conditional on the coalition was to kick PSM out. So that's part of the ideological shift. When you're standing with Mahathir and the Islamists, past the Islamists, um, and you say, okay, I'm going to stand with them and I'm going to push out the socialists, that is the shift. So now this is the coalition that goes into the election for which they succeeded. And once you start that rightward drift, then that's there's no really... That's not a drift. I mean, that was like catapult. But then how good is our, is our movement? to actually make these discussions, make this analysis, and not only to be necessarily to be shocked or to be disappointed, but to actually go, look, uh, Tien Chua, 25 years ago, he was really, really good, and we really backed him, blah, blah, blah. (coughs) But now this is his politics. This is what um, um, where it is. This is what we're going to do. Because I think that... Our our movement in general, not just in Malaysia, but here, but overall, is not necessarily very good at analysing things and actually looking back and say, how did we get here? I think uh, often we either don't want to look under the rock because it's too difficult or we have rose-coloured uh, glasses. What do you think? I I don't think it's either of those things. And I think, you know... Memory isn't an individual phenomenon. It's a collective 
process. And memory exists in how it's documented and how it gets told over and over. We don't control propaganda. It's almost like because of social media, people think that they're completely in control of what they put out and what they take in. It's just not true. The same people who own propaganda before own it now. So the ideology, the the oxygen for our minds, so to speak, out there in the world is neoliberal pro-capitalist ideology. And so when you challenge that, so when you say, we're not going to breathe oxygen, we're going to breathe water, it is an affront. You (coughs) actually have to reprogram your lungs. So you have to reprogram your mind to take information in differently. I think that's what it is. So it's not that we've forgotten or whatever. This collective amnesia is actually a part and parcel of the propaganda machine that maintains these ideas in place against which we must push. So what is the um, so take back to that going back to ten tribe just using that as an example um, in the discussions that that was held in the questions do you think there was some pushback or there were people there who had some other ideas and went hey you know like twenty years ago etc cetera, etc cetera. how did it go well the group that organised that are not they're not anti capitalists they're Malaysians they're nationalists they're le- left wing mm. but left wing nationalists social democrats I, okay yeah um, what was great was that. There was this palpable disgust in the room. I think everybody was shocked and appalled, which was good. So if even those people could listen to um, Tian Chua and say, you have just become a political hack, you are so far away from the people who campaigned and supported and defended you, that was... um, reassuring that others could read it similarly. And then I spoke to a few, I mean, I spoke to some people from Green Left and some other Mm. known activists around the place and just to try and get a read on what was happening and that people were pretty appalled. So, Mm -hmm. So, um, again, so, but then where do we go as as a movement? I think this would have to be the last question. Yeah, I mean, the first thing, what you talked about in relation to having an ability to reflect and evaluate, I think that's very important, even small, even when that evaluation is amongst a handful of people. But I do think it means that the people that we love and adore and look up to politically – Uh, can and will turn their backs and we need to be prepared (coughs) to have our hearts broken. I'm not that that was the case for Tian Shua, but, you know, and actually say, no, you've now, you've crossed that line and we're not crossing that line with you. So being able to say that even to people that we defended while they were being tortured, but having reference back to politics, like he has no reference back to politics. He if there is no way to interpret anything he said through a Marxist lens, and he probably once was. So having reference back to using those politics in evaluation and an assessment of where the ground is at and to keep pushing and keep pushing in the direction that we think is right, which is against capitalism. And for workers. Yeah. 
And um, we might as well leave it uh, there, Giselle, because um, we'll certainly be back next week with more news from the Asia-Pacific uh, region and we'll bring you more news to see who, which group of workers try to unfurl a red flag outside the workplaces um, and, <coughs> and uh, where the struggles are and um, how they're going. So, um, Did you want to give those guys a Red Star Award? Um, we haven't given it. Yeah, all right. we'll give him a Red Star Award. You know, I should feel like we should call him up. And <laughs> You're so funny. Anyway, right, but that look, is all. Is, yeah, that's all we've got time for on today's program of Asia Pacific Currents. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Saturday from nine o'clock with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. But do stay tuned for what is next, which is Palestine Remembered. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm Pierre Mora. Have a great weekend, and um, stay tuned to 3CR Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.